Greetings from Covenant Community of LJ, Georgia. We want to thank you for taking the time to listen to these messages God has provided to our fellowship from His Word. May He bless you richly as you seek Him. We'd like to invite you to be with us in person someday soon. And for information on that, visit us at covenantcommunitylj.com. And now, let's open up God's Word. about this series. We're calling it Hope of Glory. And the reason why is because Paul is sharing this message that gives us this incredible hope. And I can't wait to get into it. If you missed uh, last week, we talked, uh, I kind of felt like history class for a little while. And I know some of you kind of came up to me after and you were like, that was a lot. And so (laughs) understand it really was a lot. And it's not, it's so important that you remember every detail. I'm praying that God will give you sort of a picture of what was going on, that you have sort of a framework for this, even if you don't remember all the dates and details, at least you can remember some of the idea of what's going on behind the scenes so that this letter can come alive to you, because honestly, we understand that this is a a real letter written by a real person to a real group of people, and when you understand what's going on in their lives, it comes alive to you. And so we are, we're jumping into the second week of our series in Colossians. And I said last week, if I had to choose a favorite book of the Bible, Colossians would be right up there with possibly my favorite. It has changed my life in ways that I'm still learning how to communicate. And I know some of you feel the same way because you've shared this with me since then. Colossians is a special, special book. I absolutely love it. But As I said last week, too, it's not going to stop us from trying to explain it. And so we're going to jump in and and really see this. So I'm excited. Uh, This series, Steve and I will be kind of going back and forth, and you'll get to hear from him as well. We're swapping notes and sharing what God is teaching us with one another, and it's just been an encouragement already. So we're, we're looking at this, and we understand Colossians is a letter with a purpose. It was written with a very real purpose, and last week we started to unpack some of what that was. So I'm going to try and recap a little bit of what we said to catch you back up in case you missed. But last week we looked at the life of this guy named Saul who met Jesus and eventually became Paul. And we were looking at his connection with Colossae. He was Saul of Tarsus. He was a Jewish religious protege who initially tried to destroy Jesus' followers. But as I said, after an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus where he was going to persecute Christians. Uh, Jesus appeared to him, spoke to him, changed his life, and he was transformed and renamed Paul. And Paul became the most influential missionary the world has ever known. And so uh, this letter, to, to get a sense of it, Paul spent some of his time as a missionary in this town called Ephesus, which is in modern day Turkey. And it was about 120 miles away from this town called Colossae, okay? about the distance between here to Athens, Georgia. And so it's not that far away. And there's this other character, his name is Epaphras, who, who shows up. And Epaphras, we understand, probably lived in Colossae because he's kind of, these are my people. And, and he came to Ephesus where he learned the gospel from Paul and he was able to take that back to his town. So this letter to Colossae is written by Paul, uh, probably with Timothy nearby, and handed to Epaphras. And when he wrote this, he would have been probably under house arrest in Rome under Nero, just a few years away from his death. And this church that Epaphras had gone and planted, 20 years had passed. And this church had begun to sort of get their legs under them, and and amazing things had been happening. Some really good things had been going on, but they had sort of hit a problem. 
And the problem sort of was made possible by some things that Rome provided with their roads and the peace and the order that all that was provided there. Uh, religion and ideas were beginning to spread and were being mixed up like in a big mixing bowl. And this is happening in Colossae. And so Paul is writing back with this thing. Essentially, this is the theme of the whole book, that Jesus Christ is your hope of glory. Jesus and anything is not necessary. You just need Jesus. And the temptation that they all had to add to Jesus to find what they thought would provide the hope that they were looking for was (coughs) obscuring and messing up the gospel. And in this letter, Paul tells them, do not shift your hope from the gospel that we taught to you. And that message is as timeless today as ever. And so that's sort of the backdrop of where we're going into this. And as we're calling this hope of glory, I thought it would be worthwhile to sort of unpack what we mean when we say hope of glory. And let's put it back in history a little bit. I think we see this, they had certainly hope of fulfillment, just like we do. Hope of genuine, lasting peace. Don't you have that thirst for something? We all know that there's more to this life than this. Even people who don't believe in God have this sense that there's got to be something else. We have this hope of glory. God says that we're sort of aware, eternity is on our hearts, where we're aware that there's something going on beyond what we can see. And we have this hope of glory. They knew that this hope, that hope just in this life was not enough, just like you probably feel the same way. Hope in this life is not enough. And so you see this even in Rome, they're reaching for glory, like real eternal glory, more than just now. So they fought wars, they sold goods, they tried to earn wealth, they tried to pass on their fortunes and their inheritance and their ideals to their families. They recorded their deeds on paper because that was a way of stretching out into maybe even after I'm gone. They buried their dead to honor them. And why? Because I think they were holding on to this hope of real glory. And some of them believed in the glory of Rome, and some of them believed the glory of my own family, but every one of them had this hope for glory. And I think you understand what I'm talking about because you've been a lot, and you've got this beacon in your heart that is this compass that seems to be looking for something, and even out in the world, if people can't put their finger on what it is, we know what it is. It is a hope of glory. It's a hope of that there's more than th- just this life, that there's, there's actual real joy, real fulfillment, real meaning, real abundance in this life and in the next. We are searching for it, and we're willing to do anything for it. And back, as we see in this passage, that is the problem that it's, it's the beauty of the gospel, but it's also the same hope that the enemy plays into. And we see that we also are all looking for glory. And let me say this, either we find something glorious to worship or we will try to become a God ourselves. We're made for glory, we really are, and our hearts are hoping for it. We will find it. And the gospel tells us, this is the beauty of the gospel, this is why we don't shift our hope from it. The gospel tells us where to put that hope. And it is squarely and solely on Jesus Christ. There is nothing in addition to that. There's no other hope. All our hope is in him. And so to to get back into this, we, we see that the former Jews put away the need when they accepted the gospel, the need to obey the old Jewish law, that ceremonial law, because Christ came as the fulfillment of that law. I know some of you guys aren't familiar with that, but sacrifices were, were made, uh, how they observed the Sabbath. There were just all these things that they needed to obey in order to honor God. And that was the covenant that God made with them. 
But Jesus came as the fulfillment of that, and there was no need for that anymore. And the Jews sort of had this hollow place in their life. Well, what do we do? How do we celebrate? There used to be like a, a feast here, now what? And so they were trying to fill in those gaps, and maybe it's Jesus and some of the ceremonial law. Maybe Jesus and a little bit of Judaism. How do we understand how, do we understand how to, to operate in that? And so the Jews are wondering, is it, is it Jesus plus our works? Is it Jesus plus adherence to the law? And the pagans were, were part of Rome, of course, and they had this combined hope in, in the giant Roman Empire. Both their government and their gods kind of went together. And you've got to remember, they just watched Rome, sort of in the name of these gods, conquer the known world. I mean, they had the sense that this is part of the key to our success. And so when they went to worship these pagan gods, they thought they were appeasing them in order to find favor from them and to keep themselves away from disaster and so when they, these pagans put all that away, and rightly so, in order to embrace the gospel that is just Jesus and nothing else, there's only one God, when they put that away, there's a hole in their life too. And they're like, maybe, maybe there's something else. Maybe we need to have Jesus and one of these other Roman gods. And there was this temptation, they called it syncretism, where it all started to blend together like a big religious blender, and it was all starting to mix up, and the gospel was being messed up. And, and without going too deep, some were attracted to uh, super religious mysticism and, and secret experiences. Uh, some were, were caught up in all of that. And, and what Epaphras is doing here is he's gone to Paul and he said, there's a problem here. They're starting, they put a plus sign after Jesus. It's Jesus and, and they're just writing stuff. And we've got to make sure that they take that and out and they switch it around. And what we understand is that Jesus, and this is what Paul writes, Jesus is better. He is sufficient. He is all you need. He uses this big word preeminent. He is before all things. He's created all things and in him all things hold together. He has conquered the enemy already. He has defeated the darkness and transferred you into the kingdom of light. You don't no longer have to appease these other gods because he doesn't even bother saying they're not actually there. He's like, you don't have to even worry about them because Jesus has conquered all of them. He is in charge. He's the boss. You don't need a backup plan. You just need Jesus. And in every one of these cases, he goes down. And so this is what your hope of glory is not. It's not Jesus and Rome. And in our case, let me say it this way, it's not Jesus and your government. That helps, right? It's not, it's not Jesus and the gods of your country or the gods, the Roman pagan gods. It's not Jesus and that. It's not Jesus and works of the law and our adherence to it. It's not Jesus plus uh, my ability to, to maintain my salvation by adherence to the law. It's not Jesus and secret spiritual experiences or secret insights that no one else has. And that's the key to opening the door to real spiritual abundance. It's not that. It's not, it's not, that's not the hope of glory. It's not, it's not Jesus and anything is the hope of glory. It's not even Jesus and you are the hope of glory. It's not even a combo of that. And what Colossians, this beautiful thing we see is that it's this. The gospel says it's not Jesus and you, it's Jesus in you. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that is where we're going to hang out for a minute today because that in itself is a powerful, transforming truth. And if it gets into your heart and you begin to understand it and by faith can receive it and walk in that, your life will never be the same. When you understand it's not God and you, it is Christ in you, it transforms you from a religion into a relationship from 
Jesus and whatever you filled in to the gospel itself, which is just Jesus. He has done it. He has conquered. He's done what I cannot do. He's already done it for me. I don't have to negotiate with him anymore because he is in me and he is working through me. That is a life-changing truth. And so Paul, sort of speaking to this syncretism that's happening, speaks to them and challenges them. And he goes right to the point, we read some of that yesterday or last week. If you want to look in, in chapter one and read a bunch of those uh, passages, you can. And we're going to get to uh, the bottom end of that in just a moment. But what I want to do is I want to look at this mystery. Paul begins to explain this mystery uh, later at the end of this passage. And before we read it, I want to, I want to say this because I think it's going to help you appreciate it. When he's explaining this mystery, mysteries are not known to everyone. It's this hidden uh, secret that hasn't been revealed. And it hadn't been revealed up until this point. And so Paul is, is sort of highlighting what was just been revealed since Christ's ascension into heaven. They're just beginning to, to realize this and they're understanding this new truth. But it had been a mystery up until this point that, that even the patriarchs didn't understand. But let's, so let's back up and understand this mystery. Let's get the framework here. If you look back, there was Adam, all right, the first man. And we see Adam created in the Garden of Eden. And we understand that there was an intimate, close relationship that he had with God. So much so that even... Uh, after they sinned, we see Adam speaking with God and they could hear him in the garden moving towards them. There was a connection that Adam had with God where he spoke with God. You can read some of that in Genesis chapter three. But later you can see that Enoch as well, one of the sons of Adam, was an incredibly godly man. It says, and Enoch walked with God and then he was not and God took him. This is really cool because I think I always kind of get jealous. And if you ever read that story, maybe you haven't. This is really early in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 5, verse 24. You can read that about Enoch. And he's, he doesn't actually die. He just is no more. He was so close to God. He was, he was walking with God and enjoying a relationship with him. I, I remember reading that as a kid, and I was like, I'm kind of jealous of that. That sounds pretty awesome to be that close to God, to walk with him, to be with him like that for Adam the way he could have related to God in the garden, being with him, is just an unbelievable truth to me. And, and it goes on. We see in, in Noah's life in Genesis 6, verse 9, it says that Noah was just a man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. It said that Noah walked with God. It's really cool. This is the guy. Uh, you've, you've probably seen the movie. Uh, it's not exactly how it goes down. But Noah, obviously God floods the earth and Noah is there and, and his family is the one that God sort of rescues and brings into this new thing he's doing. And Noah was so close to God. It says he walked with God. Can you imagine that? It would have been amazing uh, to, 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 to experience that. But Moses was like that too. It says that Moses, God would speak to him like a man talks with his friend. And you'd see him sitting in a tent with God. And uh, in Exodus chapter 12, it says this. Moses said to the Lord, and Moses is having a meeting with God at this point, And they're trying to figure out if they're gonna to move together as a nation forward. And Moses gotta get one thing straight before they go. Here it is, he says, you've been telling me lead these people, God. Moses talking to God. You've been telling me lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. That's really important. Or he's like, I need to know who you're sending with me. He says, I know you by name. He says, God replies, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. So he says, if you are pleased with me, teach me your way so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Moses like, these are your people. Who are you sending with us? We want to know you. We want to be with you. And the Lord replies, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. 
And then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Moses knew because he'd experienced all and how they had delivered them from the hand of the Egyptians. Uh, God told him at the burning bush, fear not, Moses, I will be with you. And and Moses passes away and then Joshua uh, begins to take charge. You can read this in Joshua, uh, first chapter, verse five. It says, God gives Joshua this, can you imagine being a brand new leader after Moses had passed away? Is one thing you would wanna know, right? And, And God says this to him, can you imagine? As I was with Moses, I will be with you. Whew, what a comfort, right? Like Joshua saw, you know, the Red Sea parted. He saw water coming out of a rock. He, he saw incredible acts of God through Moses. And, and God says to Joshua, just like I was with Moses, I will be with you. Can you imagine the comfort you would feel knowing that God was with you? Then David writes this in Psalm 23. He says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Can you imagine the comfort? We all love Psalm 23. We've read it uh, at, at funerals. We've read it at other points in our life when we've reached a low point because it reminds us of this incredible truth that our God is present and he is with us. And we have found incredible comfort in that truth that God is with us just like the patriarchs did. Now, Isaiah wrote this in Isaiah 41. He says, fear not. He's, he's, this is God speaking to Isaiah. He says, fear not for I am with you. I mean, that's, that's all he needed. But he says, do not be dis- Dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I fear not. I will be with you. That is a tremendous encouragement to the prophet Isaiah, who was rejected. That God was with him is all I needed to know. And then finally, we see Joseph, who was about to marry this virgin girl and didn't know what to do, and was trying to figure out what was going to happen. And all of a sudden, he gets this crazy news that's announced to him and it says that the angel says behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us and and that is the best news you could have ever gotten right that God has come off his throne and he has made himself he's, he's still <clears throat> still on the throne don't don't get me wrong God is everywhere all the time but God is manifesting himself condescending and becoming flesh that we might know him. God is now with us in the form of Jesus. That's what they call him, God with us. What an incredible encouragement to all of us, to the disciples as they walked with him. They were so comforted when they had Jesus with them. And I think about this and I think, how amazing would it be to walk around with this constant awareness that God is with us? I mean, that's that's a real encouragement to us when we know that that God is actually with us. And I don't know if you've ever felt this when you read these stories in the Old Testament, you're kind of jealous at the intimacy that they have with God. It's like, man, they walked with God. They spoke with God. They experienced God. They were with him. It's just incredible how I wish I had something like that. Maybe if I lived in the Old Testament or maybe if I was actually one of the disciples in the New Testament, I would get to experience all this beautiful stuff of being with God. That would be a beautiful thing, right? Nothing wrong with that. I mean, I will be with you is a pretty amazing message. Some of y'all are smiling like you know where I'm going with this. This is what Paul writes. Look in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 through 29. This is this mystery that's been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed among the saints. Here it is. Paul opens up. He says, now, 
Chapter 1, verse 24. Now rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. And here he goes, verse 26. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints... To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, and here it is, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ, for this is toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. You guys, this is crazy. This is almost scandalous to someone who grew up in the Jewish faith and incomprehensible even by a pagan who's been trying to appease God. All of a sudden, it's not, I will be with you. Suddenly, it's even better. And if you were a Jewish person at this point, you understand some of the ceremonial law and that you didn't just stroll into the presence of God. That, and when he was with them in the tabernacle, he stayed in this place called the Holy of Holies. And not just anybody got to go in there, but only the high priest. And he only got to go in after offering some pretty elaborate sacrifices, washing with just the right garments. And even when he went in terrified, okay, and he would make, make sort of atonement on behalf of the nation, okay? Once a year, the high priest alone went into the intimate presence of God to be with him in a special place through the blood of goats and bulls. And and he goes in, terrified before the Lord, to offer atonement for the sin. No one else could go in. You didn't just walk into even the presence of God. And now Paul, just to skip ahead, this same God who created the universe, who created every star, every terrifying star. We keep finding these things out in space, right? They're just, they keep, we keep finding new ones. They're, they're horrifying. You don't want to get close to these things. This God spoke them into existence. He breathed life into the first man. He's been working all through history, revealing his character and nature. Emmanuel comes and heals the sick gives sight to the blind, casts out demons, exhibits his authority over the spiritual realm, even raises others from the dead, and in the end raises himself from the dead and conquers sin and death and hell and proves it through his his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. And now we know that, that our God has conquered, and it would be pretty amazing if that God turned and said, I'm gonna keep being with you, church. I'm gonna keep being with you in this coming age. I'm gonna keep being with you in this new covenant, but God says it's even better. I'm going to literally come in you. I'm going to be in you through the Holy Spirit. Christ in you is the hope of glory. It's not Christ and you that's gotta figure out how to live the Christian faith. It's not Christ and some other religion that's your hope for the glory that you're looking for in this life or the next. Your only hope for glory is Christ in you. And that means so much. You can't do it. He already did it. And he is in you, ready to live through you. And that is the Christian faith. There is no other way to do it. If you're thinking Christianity was about you trying to figure out how to master this creed and obey all these laws. And man, you got to make lists and figure all this out. I'm sorry to disappoint you, but you're going to fail at that. If you didn't need Jesus, he wouldn't have come. The only way. 
for us to live the Christian life. It's not Christ and us. It is Christ in us. That is the only, only hope of glory. That's much better. I, I, I don't even know what to say about that. I, I, I want to share with you my story because I experienced a lot of this. I, I was a teenager that grew up in church, and I really wanted to honor God with my life. I had awesome parents. They were kind of new believers, and it was really cool to get to watch them fall in love with the Lord, and they put me in a place where I could I could sense and, and see that in an awesome church. I had some great mentors. I had a great youth group. I had great Sunday school teachers even as a kid. And, and as I got into sort of my teenage years, I did, I really did have this sense of I want to live this Christian life. And so far, everything had gone pretty well in my life. felt pretty good about where I was at. And so I was just like, okay, I got to hammer it out a little harder. And I would go to church, and they would tell me some stuff I needed to do, and they would give me this list, and they were like, make sure you're spending time with God, make sure you're praying, make sure that uh, you work in this discipline of fasting, you know, make sure you're at church all the time, make sure you talk to this person and that person. Okay, here's, here's these other things, oh, here's this book so we want you to read in addition to the Bible. And if you could go ahead and knock out the Bible, read it all, that'd be awesome. And then if you could, you know, do all these things, and, and let's, let's talk about attitudes for a minute. We need to be honest. We've got to deal with this lust thing. We've got to talk about, you know, your work ethic. We've got to, you know, talk about, just I'll write on down the line, and everybody's giving me all this stuff, and I'm like, wow, okay. I got this. Uh, I'm going to figure this out, right? So I just hammered down. I remember, you know, trying to figure out how to do all this. So I'm like, never want to miss a quiet time. I seriously have like checklists by my bed as a teenager uh, in my little journals. I can go, I should have brought those. I really do. I have like little checklists. I'm trying to make sure I've checked all the boxes, right? I'm like, okay, they told me this is what the Christian life is. So I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to, I'm going to do it. And I, and I had some great times with the Lord when I opened up my Bible, when I was in prayer. And those were really cool. And I, I had a great time as I was, you know, trying to do all of those other things. And I'll be honest, all those things really helped me in a lot of the ways. But there was this underlying thing. It was like there was something else. And I couldn't figure out what was going on because uh, it, it just wasn't quite clicking. I remember going on this trip and I was watching some of my friends love on each other and love on the kids. We were uh, in the uh, Bahamas to serve and it just flowed out of them. And I remember thinking, like, you know, I know the checklist. I got I to gotta make sure, you know, I'm like the, the quarterback on the football team. Let's read the play. Love the kids. Okay. Love the kids. Here we go. You know? <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to, to do this and trying to, and I, I feel like, you know, God's sort of like up there with a notepad keeping score as I go. I mean, like, oh, let's see how this works out. And, and I remember going and, and really feeling this pressure to, to, to get into this special place. There was like normal Christians, but then there was like, if I did all this stuff, then I would get like what the pastor had or what my youth worker had. And there was like this other, other thing. It was, it was like, I, I, I believed that in Jesus, he was my savior, but I felt like there was something more. Like there was this other thing and I, and I could earn it. You know, I got lists of stuff that I was just blowing it in. I finally had this moment where <laughs> I was like, okay, we're gonna deal with this. And as I, I started having some wins, started going well, started feeling really proud of myself. That's, that's Sophie having a, having a tough time. We love her. She's awesome. If you're not here, that's our pastor's daughter, and we adore her. She is a woman uh, that we love to death, and she gets excited sometimes. So praise the Lord. Make a joyful noise. That's a good thing. Um, and, um, but, but here's, back to my story, here's the thing. Like, uh, man, I remember in that moment looking at this list, and I'd gotten past, like, the, the easy external stuff, right? And now I'm down to the attitudes. And I'm like, how do I deal with this thing called pride? Y'all struggle with it. And it was like, the more I tried to deal with pride, the more proud I got that I was dealing with pride. <laughs> I was like, what, what's going wrong here? Why is this not working? And in my heart, even though on the outside I was getting a lot of things right, even though some of my youth workers were so excited about what I was doing on the outside, 
they were putting me in, in places where I could serve and, and use some of the gifts that God had, had given me. And they were like, here, try this and do this. And I, it was, it was a, a really wild ride. And on the outside, you would have thought, wow, that kid's got a really great relationship with the Lord. But can I be honest with you? I, I felt like I was, I was sort of trying to fake it till I made it. Does that make sense? And then I went to this uh, experience with FCA. Joey was awesome. And I was out at Clemson. <laughs> um, and I, <laughs> that, was, that was on behalf of all you Alabama fans. Uh, <laughs> I was a UGA fan. I inadvertently have anger still. Anyway, moving on. Um, <laughs> it was, sorry. Uh, <laughs> actually, really, yeah, moving on. The FCA at Clemson. <laughs> put on this event, and I remember going, and it was, it was really cool, and they did this skit, and I've told some of this story, and the skit essentially was uh, this guy, this Christian, sort of had been being like, oh, come on, like, get your stuff together, turns and looks to this guy, and he's like, just because you look like a Christian, just because you act like a Christian, just because you dress like a Christian, just because you sound like a Christian does not make you Christian. You're dumb as a stick, the guy said, and it was like an anvil crashed in my heart. I can't explain it. And no one lifted that anvil for days. I struggled with the Lord at a deep, deep level for days. I was so tired physically and worn out. I just didn't know where to go. And I, in a sense, I skipped soccer practice. I skipped uh, several things. And, and finally, uh, my mom and her incredible intuition, yay moms, right? We love you guys. This, this is mom, okay? My mom just looks at me one morning. I woke up from school. She could tell I was razz, rattled. And she could tell God was doing something in my life. And she looked at me and she said, Eric, you're not going to school today. Get your Bible and whatever else you need. Go in your room and don't come out until you and God have sorted out whatever he's trying to do in your heart. I honestly told my mom that is. <laughs> I said, yes, ma'am. So I skipped school. It was Valentine's Day. And that was a relief to you, right, guys? I don't have to go to school. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but I remember going in there uh, and opening up my Bible and, and just through uh, the scriptures, God revealed to me the gospel that it is not me and Jesus that I've got to figure this thing out. He already figured it out. And he wanted to come in me and live through me and do what I could never do for myself. And listen, even if I had gotten most of it right, I would have ended up in this place where I would have been super proud and self-righteous. I would have been up here probably still telling you guys, look, here's my checklist I made in 11th grade. Like, and you'd have been like, all right, cool. You know, and, but that's not the gospel. Or if I failed completely, I would have been totally in despair, maybe left the church altogether thinking Christianity is too hard. I can't, I can't walk with God. But the gospel's neither of those. It leads to neither self-righteousness or despair. It leads to Jesus. <laughs> and that's why worship is the response to the gospel. Gratitude, thankfulness in our hearts is what comes out of people who are receiving the gospel. You don't need a worship leader, maybe to sing a little louder, but you don't need Joel to be like, feel more grateful. Like, how do you flip that switch, right? Well, you, you just understand what Christ has done for you, that he is saying, it's not me and you, it's me in you. And I don't know how to say this, so this is the best way I know to do it. But the Christian life is not about mastering new attitudes and behaviors. The Christian life is about surrendering to a new master. And when you do that, it is incredible what starts to happen in your guts. And my problem is not that I was bad. My problem is that I was dead and I needed to be made alive in Christ. I didn't need better makeup 
I needed a whole new makeup. I needed God to get in me and transform me and not learn how to fake it better. I needed him to make me a new creation in Christ. And so what is it that Christ gives us? It's this hope of glory. And I want to explain this. This is kind of cool. Um, I had an awesome, hopefully this doesn't feedback. Just watch me. Um, I had an awesome opportunity in college to go to this awesome Bible study called 722. And Louis Giglio was the teacher. While we were there, he used an illustration, uh, this illustration I want to share with you guys. I want to give him credit. Uh, if you've not heard Louis, go Google something and listen to him. But he uses this illustration. And I, I, want, to, I want to explain. So, all right. So, here we go. This, this is the best way I know to make sense of this. This is you, all right? And you're actually in here. Uh, but Colossians says that, that prior to Christ in us, we were in the dominion of darkness. So, what do you think? This is my dominion of darkness. This looks pretty good. So, so you're in here, so we're going to pull you out. All right, this is where you are. So this is, ooh, sorry, I meant to handle you better. Uh, but, but in Christ, in, in, in Colossians chapter 1, it says that, that Christ has transferred us out of the dominion of darkness, right? And brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. But there's this other deal. And we understand that we have sin in our hearts. We have this, this desire to, to sin in us. And so the beauty of the gospel is that God takes us out of the dominion, out of the control, out of the authority of the enemy, and places us in a whole new deal. And so when we're talking about all of this, there's, there's this whole new picture. So let's make sense of this. So it says that we have actually Christ in us that is our hope of glory. So we're going we're gonna to write this here. This is going to be Christ. My handwriting is terrible. It's going to work for now. All right, there we go. So this is, this is crazy, guys. It's not just God with you anymore. It is Christ in you. That is your hope of glory. That's crazy. That, that it's not that you are, you are stuck where you're never going to be able to overcome any of the stuff that you're dealing with. This is great news for you guys who are dealing with like habitual sins and addictions like we all are. We were talking the other day at the men's breakfast. We're like, we're all really in recovery of some kind. Like we're all recovering from things. We all have stuff going on in our hearts that God has brought us out of. And this is the beginning point where it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. So you're in there. And that's pretty, pretty great, right? That, that Christ has put himself in you, which I love it. But that's not all he's done because at the end of this passage, it says that we are also in Christ, right? Did you see that? So it gets even better. I love this. This is awesome. So this is, uh, this is gonna be Christ here. Right. Lord, help me not to misspell anything. Okay. So this is, this is, oh, we don't want to seal it yet. That's the promise of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> we won't do that yet. Uh, but yeah, there we go. And it, it says that we are not only, we don't have Christ in us, but we also are in Christ. We are in him. This is good. This is, this is a huge improvement from it here, right? No longer a dominion of darkness. This is, this is pretty cool. How are we supposed to live the Christian life? What is this? How does this all work? This is, you're getting a picture of it right now. This is, you are in Christ. Christ is in you. Scripture tells us we're sealed by the, the Holy Spirit, right? Our seal and guarantee of the inheritance that will neither, neither perish nor spoil or fade, kept in heaven for us. It's awesome. This is you, and you're, you're in there. Can you still see you in here, by the way? So a little bit, that's good. Well, it gets even better than this, uh, which is really cool. Um, we got this big gigantar uh, tub here, which is good. You should have seen my Walmart buggy. Um, <laughs> 
we got an assistant. So, so it, it gets even better. All of that, this, this is a big guy. This is God. And all of this, we understand through the scriptures that Christ is, he says, I'm in you, just as I'm in the Father. He is part of Trinity. It is, he is in God, and because we are buried and raised with him, united with him, we are now in here. How cool is this? All right? Like, isn't this way better than Dominion of Darkness? It's not, we don't pull you out of here and be like, it's Christ and, oh, God is awesome. You just need it with you, and you'll get this sort You and him will figure it out. You and him just master that list, and you've got it all sorted. No, it's awesome. You get positionally, this is true of you, that you have Christ in you if you are in Christ, and that you are also in Christ with God. Well, it's awesome, right? Christ is in God. You are with him. This is where you are. And this is why when Jesus says, no man can pluck him out of my hand, like this, there's a lot of flappy things here going on supernaturally that are locking you in. I love this. Isn't that awesome? That this is who we are. And so suddenly, when we look at this, why is this so important? That is our hope of glory. It's Christ in you that's our hope of glory, not Christ and you. You can't get the Christian life mastered. You need a new master. And when he begins to come and work in your life, it is absolutely transformative. Formative. It's not a learned skill, although there will be moments for that, but before any of those things can become a reality. Listen, there's times for lists. There's times for accountability. There's times for gospel-driven, grace-empowered effort and fighting against sin every tooth and nail. When we're talking about this, there is, there's this sense that after we get put in here that we just sort of lay out spiritually on the couches and be like, Lord, here I am. Hit me with holiness just make it happen, you know? And, and I think that in a sense, God has done that positionally, but God fills us with the Holy Spirit that he might cause us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling where it begins to progressively build into the way that we live. But none of that can happen if you're trying to do it from in here, right? And with this in you, because when you're in here and you're in this, you love sin, can I break some sad news to us that we all kind of already know? You don't sin because it happened or you slipped or whatever. You sin because you chose to. You want to. You love it. And, and you're, this is what life-changing is. When you get Christ in you and you're in Christ and you're in God and you begin to see what he's done for you, the response is worship. It's, you worship something, thought it was more important than God, so you're willing to disobey God and potentially even hurt your loved ones in order to get Jesus plus something else. Even if you went into it thinking it's Jesus is my number one, but I'll add something else in that'll make it all square. Listen, that's not going to do it, but if you do it from here, it works out just like Paul said. He says in this passage, you see at the end of Colossians, that little chunk that we read, it says this in, in verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This is a lot of work. This is not Paul just saying, well, I'm in Christ and he's in me and we're together with all that in God. We're like a big thing of rubber made tubs. But you just sit on the couch and chill. That's not what he said. He says, for this I toil. Struggling with all what? His energy that so powerfully works within me. It's gospel driven, 
Holy Spirit-filled, grace-empowered effort that leads us on our path to growth where we continue to discover life, abundant life, even here and now. But the crazy thing is, even at the beginning of that process, you're in here secure in Christ. You don't earn your salvation by the work that happens as Christ in you begins to toil and transform and work in you in this life. That work is already done or you are saved and received in him. That is the beauty of the gospel. And that's why I know out in the community, if you tell somebody, I know I'm going to heaven. There's a way you can say that where some people thinking that Christianity says, go and get all your stuff right, then God will let you into heaven. When we say as believers who get this, we're like, I know for sure I'm going to heaven. Not because I'm good, but because he's good. A lot of times what your friends might hear, your family might hear is, you know you're going to heaven, how arrogant. Because that must mean you think you're better than me, which means you think you're better than everybody else, and God's somehow going to reject other people and take you like you're, you're beating the curve. But the curve is not, we didn't invent that. That's from the devil. There is no curve. There's none righteous, no, not even one. Your only hope for salvation is just Jesus. It's not Jesus and you. It's just Jesus. He did it on the cross. He comes and fills you, and you, this is crazy. When God looks at you, when you walk into the throne, why should I let you into heaven? Well, you can barely even see you in here. And God the Father is like, Christ, his righteousness has been imputed on my daughter. And Christ is in her. Welcome. It's not about you. He's already done it in you. So much so that you kind of get lost in here. And Colossians works this out. It reorders your whole life. And suddenly, you become really not that important. And in the same way that Christ died, we die. And when people see us coming, they ought to see a big Rubbermaid tub with God and Christ, Christ in us, flowing out of us, living through us. And at the end of the day, we're not worried about writing our name on the outside of the tub because that would be a huge lie, right? We just want Jesus lifted up because he is preeminent. He is supreme. There is no other. He has transferred us out of the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. And how much help did he say he needed in that verse? None. Called his shot from the very beginning and pulled it off. It's beautiful, you guys. This is the gospel. This is what we get to offer the world, and this is what's true in us, and this is how we live in him. We understand that a lot of us think of Christianity like, I don't know if you've been to a funeral recently. I hope you have. But if you've been, you walk up and you see the sort of the, the dead person, the loved one right there. And I, I know this from going to funerals. Typically, the conversation around there is, oh, he looks so good, Right? And we don't know what to say. It's super awkward. We never know what to say. That's the best we can do. It looks so good. But there's a part of us that knows that that is, that is not reality there, that, that life has left that body and that this person is actually dead. But they look, look like they're happy, look like alive, but they're not. Some of us have approached Christianity like an undertaker puts makeup on a cadaver. Are you all with me? And if you've sort of thought, it's Jesus and me, let's, let's do some touch-ups here. Uh, let's do some little, little external work here to get it all fixed because we're almost there. We just need a little bit more makeup. If that's been your relationship to God, listen, that's not the gospel. The gospel is this, that you were dead in your sin. 
And you need to be born again, made alive in Christ. So since this day, if you ever get a note from me, I've signed it in Christ. Because this truth has changed my life. Because it's not about me anymore. It's just me in Christ and Christ in me. Together, I'm in fellowship with my God. And I know that I have this hope of glory. That even if things don't go so well right now, even if they come at me and kill me, that one day I will see him face to face. And I will spend eternity worshiping a God that saved me. He just did it because he loved me for his glory to reveal his love for us. That's the gospel, guys. That's the gospel. That's all we've got. There's no, there's no extra things that we're going to add something later. There's no 201, 301, 401. We're going to be like, oh, yeah, okay, sorry. We didn't tell everybody at church because we don't want them to know, but it's really Jesus and this. No, this is it forever. It's just going to be Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory. We don't need makeup. We need a heart transplant. And when Christ puts in you, it's not about the makeup anymore. Color will come into your life and you'll begin to breathe because God breathes life into you. And life is just all about offering ourselves, our members, as instruments of worship to our God, as living sacrifices, praising him for what he's already done in our life. It's not about earning what he might do in our lives. It's about celebrating and sharing what he's already done. That's the gospel. Colossians continues to make it more clear. I pray that this is working in your life. If you'll stand and bow your head with me for just a moment, I want to give you a chance to respond. Here's simply this. If you're here and you've been frustrated, you've almost backed out of Christianity, and there's been points in your life where you're like, I think I might even be done with this. I don't, I don't know. It's just not working. And you're ready to come to Christ and say, I'm laying down all the stuff that I think makes me deserve what I think you ought to do in my life. I'm, I'm realizing that I don't deserve anything. And I'm here just to kneel at your feet and surrender to you, my God. And my hope of glory is not in me. It's not me and you. It's not me and this other thing. I know I can trust you with this hope that I have in my heart for glory. My hope for now and forever is going to be just in you, Jesus. Because you have rescued me through your death and resurrection. You've conquered all my enemies. And I'm ready to enter in to your presence. If you'll take me, receive me, forgive me. I repent of my sin. I want to be yours. You're my hope. I put my faith in you. If that's you, and you want to give your life to Christ. Listen, we want you to know, even if you've been doing church for a long time, when this happened in my life, I've been doing church a long time. I had titles in my youth group and this and that. None of that matters. It matters that you have Christ in you. That's your hope of glory. Not what any of these other people think about you. It's that hope of glory. Guys, we don't want to fake it till we make it as a church. Because we want Christ in us. If you don't know Jesus and you don't have a relationship with him, and you know he's, it's, and you want that, listen, we want you to come to Christ. If that's what you want, I'm going to be up here. We've got a few of our gentlemen uh, who, who, who know the Lord. And listen, if you want to, come and grab one of us. We would love to close. We would love to explain to you how you can, by faith, repent of your sin, verbalize that to God and tell him what you want in your life. If you know he's working your heart, just say, I'm done. I'm ready to be one of your kids, God. Not into religion, but I want you. I want you in me. You're my hope. Not church. It's not my hope. It's you. And I want you to work in me and become the church. That's the deal. If you're already a believer and you, your hope has shifted from the gospel, and it's become, maybe you came to Christ and you're in Christ. You're there. That's you. But 
but you've forgotten that and you started functioning as it being Jesus and you and you want to repent of that and just say, God, I just want you to take over. I let go. I surrender. Have whatever you want. And you can come up here and kneel. It's a little awkward up here because we got all this stuff. You can go to the sides if you want to and pray right where you are. You can do whatever business you need to with the Lord. We encourage you to do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We want to thank you one more time for taking the time to listen to these messages that God's provided our fellowship. We believe he's doing something special among us and would love for you to be a part of it. We hope that you'll take the time to come and visit us in person someday soon. And we invite you to visit our website, covenantcommunitylj.com. If you have a prayer request or if there's a specific way we can minister to you and your family. Until then, God bless you.